0: Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power of our nightly dreams
1: to inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives.
0: This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role our dreams play on our path to a more vital
1: and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams
0: to affect change
2: and redirect the trajectory of our inner and outer lives. These these, 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 these These are our dreams 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 that shape us.
1: Life loses its magic when we muddle through it. Another day doing the freeway shuffle. Another night in front of the tube. Another week or month or year goes by. Living a mechanical life in a mechanical world all concrete and steel and predictability. In that way, it's a dead world. And as for the magic, yeah, yeah, we'll leave that for David Copperfield. When life loses its magic and when what we experience is mostly painful and confusing, we may seek our stimulation and drugs and risky behaviors. That's how it was for our guest, Chris. As a young woman, she came to a crossroads where she could continue going down the path of numbness or take a big risk and try to find a road to a magical life. And with her dreams leading the way, she left the ordinary world of muddling and shuffling and numbing and entered one where everything is alive so vibrantly, where coincidences are meaningful and the world speaks to our hearts, reminding us that we too are intimately part of it. Along with the birds and the bees and the creatures of the sea, we too can fly high and dive deep and taste the sweet nectar. Join us now as we follow our dreams to rediscover the magic of life.
0: All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dreams That Shape Us podcast. This is the podcast where we share story after story to obliterate the Western myth that dreams mean nothing by offering you these beautiful human stories of how dreams have truly shaped people's lives. Tonight, we're doing something special. Right now, I have Chris Lang with us and also my partner in the dream, Mr. Jam DeBoard. What's up, brother?
1: Yeah, man. We're going to try something new here. We, we have such a story for our listeners that it requires the two of us to interview our guest, Chris, because um, we're going to make sure that we get all the angles covered. <laughs> so we're going to, after three seasons uh, or into three seasons and all these episodes that we've put out, this is the first time that we've done an interview together. So um, this is going to be an experiment on the one hand and also a way of honoring the story that Chris has to tell. We've already Delved into this a bit with her, and it's amazing. Uh, there, there's so much to tell, uh, so uh, this is why we have to do it this way. We we were inspired to do it, so we're hoping that it comes out in a way that uh, honors her story.
0: Yeah, so we'll be definitely looking for a little bit of feedback if you like the fact that Jason and I are both on this. Uh, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram and let me know maybe we'll start doing this more often Uh, but so tonight we have my good friend Chris Lang Uh, she has an amazing story to tell here tonight Uh, one of what I'm kind of encompassing as the reclamation of her magical self she had a few situations that happened in her early life that really hardened her and closed her off to her heart and her feelings and led her down a pretty dark path for a little while. And then she had this really special experience that happened that we're going to hear all about that really changed her life in a way that welcomed her back to herself. And we'll get to see these really special dreams that she had that just feels so soulful in a way that really truly from my vantage point really looks like soul retrieval in a way that um isn't so dark (laughs) isn't so like hardcore but it's just this beautiful welcome home essentially uh so yeah we're Thank you for being here. Uh, If you want to introduce yourself in some capacity, uh, hello.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much um, for having me. And I feel like this is so special. I get to have you both uh, together. (laughs) And uh, um, yes, I hope I can um, share my story um, in a way that, Yes. Serves a good purpose here. So um, I guess a little bit of my backstory is that I grew up in Connecticut and um, I had a really good childhood. And I also always felt growing up, um, you know, Connecticut and New England is a conservative, in my view, it was very conservative. And a bit repressed. And so there was always um, something that felt kind of stifling or suffocating to me there. And I always also had this sense of, you know, as I was getting older, that there was just something didn't feel right about this world. (laughs) There felt always like there was something more that I had a sense of, but couldn't name. And so I kind of I, I was one of those kinds of kids, really curious and questioning. And, um, I think I would always have been a big picture kind of thinker and looking at, at the world that way. And, um, and I also grew up Catholic, so I had that early programming also, and, um, And yeah, so, uh, you know, that was kind of my life. And I did have a few experiences also early on um, of some early childhood sexual trauma that I didn't realize until later um, really had a negative impact on me. And I also had, I think I was about 14 and I had a cousin who died suddenly in a car accident and that also really, really impacted me in a very deep way and I became very um, kind of obsessed with death and and life and the bigger questions and sometime around that time when I was about 15, um, I started down a path of drugs and alcohol. And that took me, you know, on, on a ride that I call like the dark path for quite a while. It would say probably about seven or eight years. And, you know, how I felt during that time, which is probably, you know, common for anybody diving down the road of addictions was, um, you know, and risky behavior um, was that I, you know, was just numbed out. That's what Drugs do. And so I was, uh, yeah, numbed out, not very conscious, and really, yeah, I would say shut down would be fair to say. Um, Like, really not present, not in my body. And ultimately, um, in the beginning part of my 20s, I became also really depressed. And it was then that I had an opportunity to move to California. And that was a really pivotal move for me and what was the time there I finally took a turn back onto the the path of light I would say. Um, I had a few experiences in my early 20s, um, one of which um, I found, you know, the book that many people out there have read, um, Autobiography of a Yogi, and this really changed something for me. Um, I had are rejected you know the church and the idea of God and kind of shut all that away but hearing the experience of the yogis and all these you know seemingly supernatural abilities to you know t- telepathy and by location and spiritual experiences and mystical experiences I just I just knew in my heart that these were true and these were um, available and so that kind of was what started me on this path. And then I became a really heavy meditator. And, and then I got into dream work at that time. And um, that's, you know, a little bit of the backstory, which kind of brought me to this awakening that I had through dream work.
1: what was your entry point into dream work? Was it a particular school of thought or a book or uh, somebody you met in California?
2: Yeah, actually I met, um, a man named Jeremy Taylor, who you probably know and have heard about. And, oh, um, yeah. yeah. So, and I feel very fortunate that that was my first inroad. And, um, I ended up studying with Jeremy for a few years in Oakland at, uh, Matthew Fox's school. And, so that was my introduction into uh, group work, group dream work. And it was amazing.
0: Yeah, projective, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Projective yeah. Dream work. yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. And it, it really set a great foundation for me um, and um, was, you know, also the time where I first learned about lucid dreaming and had my first lucid dream, which was like another initiation <laughs> Um, so yeah, there was a lot of (laughs) openings happening for me.
1: I'd love to hear about that first lucid dream.
2: Well, um, yeah. So that first lucid dream, um, it was so wonderful. I mean, I'm not sure if everybody's first lucid dream is like that, but mine sure felt that way. Um, I was basically, um, I was in my dream and I was looking at some very large paintings, that were paintings of people like their faces and they were really big and it was my own art that I had done. And then I probably had gone, I think into a bathroom and saw myself in a mirror, which was my trigger to getting lucid. Um, and then I realized I was dreaming and I got really excited as we do. And Mm -hmm. I ran outside and I found myself in a huge parking lot and I started to wonder, you know, what am I going to do? This is the first time I'm lucid. Um, so I decided that I would make it rain and all of a sudden the sky opens up and it's raining and I feel the rain soaking me and it just feels amazing and all of a sudden a huge being of light appeared in the sky and it was multicolored and I at that time I called it an angel an angelic presence and as soon as that being of light appeared in the sky I went into like a state of ecstasy, and I was found myself next to a woman and a, her child, and we were all there, and we all went into an ecstatic state together. Um, we started turning cartwheels in place in this circle together, just <laughs> involuntarily. And then all of a sudden, we stopped, and I put my hands on her shoulders, or both of them on their shoulders, and told them that we had to remember this this moment and we remember each other and that when we woke up that we should try to find each other. And I was a hundred percent convinced that they were real people in the real world that I could find. Wow.
1: Well, you know, that has a lot of the hallmarks of um, dreams that open you up to a sort of um, uh, we've heard it described as the divine light. The, for one kind of this, you had something that introduced itself into the dream you said, let it rain. And then the dream said, Oh, I'll make it rain. And I'll give you more (laughs) than that. So you get this being of light that shows up. And the so for one, you've had the dream give you more than you expected. And then two, there's the woman and the child that shows up. And this seems to be just based off of what I've seen with this type of dream is that you're bringing at that moment, you are in a very deep creative process of bringing something new into your being, maybe even into the world too. Obviously you're in the world and it's coming into you, but it's beginning as this deep, you know, process that's going on within yourself. And it's interesting that dream starts off with you seeing what art that you had created. So now you have a woman with the child, the child is her creation there along with you. And then you said you were involuntarily doing cartwheels in a circle. And that's another thing that we've seen in this divine light sort of dream is you're you're actually in that movement, you're actually creating a symbol. And the symbol is one of wholeness because the circle is considered to be in classic sort of Jungian terms, a symbol of wholeness. And I think Jeremy Taylor would also recognize it too. Um, as this thing that shows that the center within you is now coming forward and like making itself known to you and of course in that circle is it's a very magical place so i think that we've thank you for sharing that and i think it's really set off this theme of showing how your dreams brought the magic back into your life and in a way could we say chris that this was that seminal moment that this is where it really kicked in for you with that lucid dream?
2: You know, I think so. I I think that would be true. I mean, that, you know, like I said, it felt like an initiation of sorts, having this first lucid dream that was so powerful and, you know, to go into a state of ecstasy when a being of light appears. Like I had never experienced anything like that. So yeah, absolutely.
0: So yeah, well, I can long? just say for from my experience, <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's how everybody has their first lucid dream. uh I know for me, mine was was definitely just as initiatory uh it's what brought me on the path of of dreaming. I had no idea what lucid dreaming was, and it just rocked my whole world so hard. um I thought I died, and so then, when I woke up. And realize I was still alive, but I had this fully conscious experience um it like changed my whole life. I was like chasing it ever since mm. um so in that way, it was ecstatic for me, but definitely didn't have any beans of light or uh that kind of ecstasy in it <laughs> but uh just as just as powerful and i think I think if you're called into. I mean, if you're called into dream work in general through dreams, like it's not just like a thing that you like want to pursue. It's like the dreams come after you. Um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I think they present themselves in a way that you can't shake from there on out. <laughs> that's, oh, like, yeah. that's, no, like, was... that's at least my opinion about that. I think if you have a strong calling from within the dream to pursue the path that they they take you by the shoulders and they throw you off the ledge a little.
2: Yeah. I would say that, that I was called in that dream for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: So Chris, how long, how long until you, we know in the next part of your story that we're going to end up down in a shamanic compound, um, in Mexico. It's, so you, you arrive in California, you somehow get hooked up with Jeremy Taylor, who everybody out there who knows Jeremy, Jeremy was a, he was a minister, and he was also a dream work teacher and he put in decades of work out there in Northern California. Um, many, many, many people can trace their lineage, even active members now of the dream work community, um, professionals and people who just have a deep interest in this can trace their lineage to Jeremy. Plus he had some influential books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So for one, you, you were, you know, you ended up in good hands. Um, And how long was it until you went to Mexico?
2: Um, I think it was pretty soon after that. It was only, I think the following year after I stopped, um, studying with Jeremy, um, so yeah, say 1996 was when I left for Mexico.
1: And it sounds like a good time to maybe talk about that. You, uh, What led you, how did this opportunity open up for you?
2: Okay, so this story uh, is kind of fun. I, the first time I decided to go to Mexico, I was going on, um, in San Francisco, I don't know if anybody's heard of it, but there was a a bus company called the Green Tortoise, super fun travel bus. And um, I got on that bus in San Francisco was going to the Baja for 10 days. And it was there that I met my now husband. And we had this amazing trip and we fell in love and we decided to stay together. And so we, um, not long after that trip, I basically sold everything I owned and he had a VW van and we were going to go on this open, extended what we thought was traveling through Central America, <laughs> and what ended ha- up happening was we got to Mexico, and we got involved with um, a man who had a ranch that was open to travelers and to people, and there were mixed families on this ranch. So there were there were um, people from the U.S., Mexicans, and Huichol, the Huichol indigenous community. And um, we, that's how we ended up meeting the Huichol families that we did and our family in Mexico. And then we became involved um, over a period of three years um, participating in traditional um, ceremonies and journeys to their sacred sites and engaging in um, peyote, peyote, um, ritual and gathering and all kinds of things. And um, so basically that is how I ended up there. And that was another super, I feel super fortunate and super blessed to have been invited in by these people who were incredibly generous, not only with their selves and their lives um, but with their traditions and that is not always the case, <laughs> and I just you know we had such an amazing, um, really life changing experience basically that happened to me down there.
0: Wow, that's so cool! I I just love the the thought of you in a VW van. <laughs> it seems, if I don't know, while you were just telling it, it just felt like uh, I was watching some kind of. Uh, movie of some sort um, very cool I'm curious uh, is there any of to, to help really set the stage for the kind of uh, mind and heart opening experience that you had there can you kind of uh, lead us a little deeper into a couple stories that you may feel okay sharing about uh maybe some of the experiences you had on peyote or uh, a couple of ceremonies, if you could talk a little bit to that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. Um, Yeah. So for me, um, you know, because we were already in, I would just say this whole thing about traveling, living in a van, Mm -hmm. We were really in a different flow state. Actually, I feel like we were moving to a different rhythm. Um, you know, we were our circadian rhythms were different because we were sort of up and down with the natural light. And you have to realize this was way before cell phones and even email and all kinds of things. So we were really engaged in our um in, in nature and just this natural flow. And so there was a lot of just synchronicity and things like that already happening. And I would say, when I went to the desert, you know, and this going on these pilgrimages are not easy trips, they're long, they're um, trying. (laughs) And, you know, we were doing all the kind of protocols that you normally do, like fasting and all kinds of you know, ceremonies and things we had to do, objects we had to make, to give offerings, just really kind of deeply engaging in this um, tradition. And when we got to one of the sacred sites in particular for me, which was in um, the state of Monterey, Mexico, um, I would say that the peyote for me was, it, it, it was very intense, but also very gentle and um what happened mainly to me on my most all my experiences with peyote is that the natural world opened up to me so i'd already you know heard about this you know idea that everything was alive and that everything was connected and that was sort of more like an intellectual sort of you know concept that i had um but when i got there i got to really experience that and i would say that Um, That's when the animist in me became born because I could see and hear nature speaking to me. And so um, it just kind of confirmed all these things I had already kind of heard about. And so it's also where I really realized, you know, this concept of like the ancestors to me to that point in time in my young life, I really had no idea what that really was, to be honest. Um, but through those experiences, I, um, I really became to understand what the ancestors really are, and that they're really real, and they're here, and they don't just encompass our human ancestors, but they also encompass, um, you know, other than human, and our, you know, nature friends and spirits and spirits of place. And so all those kinds of experiences although they were gentle they cracked something so deep open in me that really changed the entire like makeup and structure of who i am and how i saw the world
0: wow it's so beautiful
1: Yeah, you can see it in the dreams that we're about to discuss, and this was something that Steve and I noted as we were getting ready to talk with you tonight. Is you had so many dreams that featured these powerful, uh, you could say mythological um, uh, animals, and it's you know after seeing a lot of different kinds of dreams and talking with a lot of people about their dreams, yours really stood out for that quality. And now I think that we're starting to see the lineage you pursued something that ended up um becoming a theme in your dreams and not just like in a very magical sort of way. And as I was thinking through this, Chris, I wondered <laughs> did all this happen before or after you read Carlos Castaneda? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, I don't know actually. I, I did read one of those books. Um, and, and I also, I just, it's funny that you mentioned that because not to sidetrack, but I know that one of the books I read during that time was a book by Jose Arguelles called the mind code. And I don't know, but it was also, that was the year there was something called the harmonic convergence that happened. I don't even know exactly where that happened, but there was some kind of energetic, um, Download opening that also happened to me when I read that book, and I know Carlos Castaneda's book did influence me in some way as well. But well, I don't know. know if I read it before or after, to be honest.
1: So it starts with the teachings of Don Juan, and um, you know he wrote a lot of the other books after after that. These were very popular in the seventies and continuing into the eighties. And the one that really grabbed me was the Art of Dreaming. He describes a lot of like what you're talking about. He found a place down on the in Mexico, he was on the southern coast somewhere, and he found this um, indigenous shaman named Don Juan. And Don Juan had this compound. There were people who were there with him, students and seekers, uh, people kind of coming and going in and out of the scenes. And then there's Carlos, who's this you know graduate student in anthropology, who's going down there for these um, trips for him to learn the indigenous ways to ingest the uh, the plant medicines, you know the psychedelics, the peyote, uh, the mushrooms, um, but mostly he he doesn't really emphasize that stuff. He talks about what he experienced in these deep states of meditation. Don Juan would teach him, you know, a, a certain practice to do. And then he would go into the meditation and he would practice and he started finding that, well, for one, this stuff really works. You know, you can hear stories about this stuff and it all sounds very magical and maybe kind of hokey to someone with a Western mindset, but then you practice it yourself and you find that you have these experiences that, I mean, they're happening within your own mind, but he also found that there were things that were happening like group experiences. They would meet in places like in the astral where they would have experiences together and they would come out of it and they could talk about their experiences and realize that it was, it was something that they, an experience they shared together that it really did happen. Did you ever have those kinds of things happen to you? And I'm curious if you did any shared dreaming with the members of the
2: community down there. Hmm. Yeah, actually, um, so I don't, I can't say that there were any, um, astral experiences that we shared as a group, although we were, I mean, we were sharing experiences and there were some things that were happening to me, um, and things I was I was seeing during some of these times that others also were experiencing. So maybe in a sense you know that could that is answering your question. There were things that I thought I was only seeing with my own eyes. That when in retrospect, um, years later, talking, you know, with a group of people, that we actually all did see the same things. And and yes, yeah, so the two people I traveled with the most in our van. One day, um, we all woke up from a shared dream, which I thought was really funny because I woke up and I said, "Oh, this is so." So funny, I had a dream that um, I shaved off my beard. You know, it's just weird (laughs) that I had a beard. They both had beards. And then they said, one after the other, I had the same exact dream. So we all three had a dream on the same night, um, sleeping closely together, um, that we shaved off our beard. So that was pretty cool. (laughs)
1: Well, you know, what are the odds, (laughs) you know? Like, is everyone really itching, you know, or, you know, if you look for something like why would three people have the same dream if it wasn't a shared dream, you know, and you would wonder if there wasn't some kind of condition that was going on that you were all experiencing. But then again, it sounds like your two travel companions were male and they really did have beards. And Chris, I'm going to assume you did not have a beard, like a real
2: beard. I I really (laughs) didn't. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, what would be the odds? I, I've I've dreamed a few times in my life that I can remember about shaving. Steve, how about you? Do you How often do you think you dream about shaving?
0: I know I've had dreams of shaving my head, but I, I don't believe I've ever had any dreams of shaving my beard.
1: Yeah. So then for three people to have that dream in the same night. So you yeah. were each though, um, were you together in the dream or was it that you each dreamed about shaving your beard's individually.
2: Yeah, it was individually. And I I always think that represented some kind of symbolic gesture, you know, that we were about to embark on this journey, right, of these pilgrimages to these sacred sites and doing all the ceremony. And somehow, to me, it spoke to that, you know, about um, some kind of change that was about to happen.
1: Yeah. Ritual preparation. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. The same reason why, um, you know, an adept entering a monastery might shave their head. It's a way of kind of leaving the old self behind. So, and, uh, and maybe even sort of like making a ritual sacrifice of something that, you know, like the, you're saying, well, here I can make this offering. This is something that is part of me and I can offer it. Um, so it's, it might just be your whiskers. It might be the hair on your head, but it's still kind of a, given sometimes it can be given in that sort of spirit um so from there um you tell us now you we know that in 1998 you had just an explosion of incredible dreams can you lead us up to that with what was going on in mexico
0: here wait can i can i interject yeah ma'am there was there was some moment that I wanted to circle back to. So before we get into the dreams, I want to circle back to it real quick. Okay. Um, uh, so that the moment where you began speaking about um, really understanding who the ancestors were and kind of reclaiming all of that generational love and beauty um and just knowing how how much deeper it is it's not just human ancestors it's it's not it's uh, more than human ancestors or like non-human ancestors uh to me that I just wanted to to circle back to that and to really accentuate the power of this kind of a moment um especially us, uh, European, uh, us european dissented uh, Americans, we are so cut off from our ancestry that I just feel like this, this is a moment that I just want to really highlight for you and to really, to really kind of dig a little deeper into the gravity of this kind of moment, like just how truly special this is. I, I kind of had a moment like this recently. Um, And it's, there's so much power in coming back into connection with your ancestors. Um, I I know a lot of us, um, European-descended white uh, Americans have a really conflicted, typically a very conflicted um, relationship with our ancestry. And the shamanic practitioner that I've done a lot of work with here in Minneapolis. He says that uh that the, the crossing of the ocean to the Americas was a powerful severance um that we committed against ourselves to cut the cord to our ancestry and we that American society as it has evolved is a very traumatic look at what happens when you sever your connection to the soul of your lineage? That you you create a soulless society. Essentially, um, the fact that we we don't have the depth of connection to our ancestral lineages here in America, um, in his eyes, is a huge reason as as to why our society is so paper thin. And um, so I I want to take a second here and I'm going to let you speak um, to what this moment really held for you and how, how truly special it was. Um, I just want to re- reiterate the fact that you're going from this really closed state of being really depressed, being addicted, being in a really deep rut that I'm sure you can speak the words exactly to this but that you felt little to no connection to anything and so now here you are having this really sweet plant experience that is in your words cracking you open so gently and it just like breaks my heart like thinking about how sweet and pure that is Mm -hmm. and uh if you want to just speak to that if you want to speak to the true depth of of what coming all that way through all of that shit we'll just call it shit (laughs) and 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 touching that sweetness like
2: yeah yeah i really love that you're using that word sweetness because there there is that is so true for my experience um you know, and I'll just say, like, I really agree with you um, about our disconnection from, you know, our understanding and our relationship with our ancestors. And, you know, for me, this was like the beginning. This was like an, an opening um, of a much greater understanding of what my relationship to the ancestors um, and my ancestors took over, you know, the, the arc of my life, which is still something that's very much unfolding for me today because I'm very, you know, actively engaged at this time in my life, um, much more recently with really diving into my own ancestral, you know, connection and and healing in a in a way that you could say that I'm attempting to learn how to do. Um, but for me being with the mutual people who, you know, they're just so they never lost that connection. And so for me to see this, these real relationships, these, this real modeling of um, a constant honoring, not only of their lineage, familiar, familiar ancestors, but to the spirits of place where we were and how we had to honor and address them and to the beings inside the rocks, which I got to see and I had visions of and I didn't fully understand all that I was being open to even in those moments. These kind of insights have really unfolded really over time for me Um, but you know seeing I would say the what I would call the other than human ancestors and having the spirits of place and of the of the land um, appear to me. What happened to me was I my heart broke open, <laughs> and I did a lot of crying and beautiful tears of um, just joy and gratitude for remembering the truth and. Um, yeah it it really um it's it's you know you did i did come from a place where I had prior been closed down and shut off, and I feel like what happened with this the truth of the, the kind of the core of it is it it got me back into my heart and back into my feelings and to my emotionality because that was very much shut down. I did a really good job of shutting that down and um, not only these experiences, but the Wechel people themselves are deeply emotional. They wear their emotions openly and they taught me and reminded me how important that vulnerability is and how sweet and beautiful um, this level of seeing these, you know, men, grown men crying and just loving and sharing it was just really mind-blowing for me i didn't have that growing up in connecticut so yeah it was really sweet very sweet
0: beautiful thank you for sharing all that
2: I, I just add something that just is just popping in my mind, and I just want to, um, I just want to say it here before, so I don't forget. Is that, you know, on this subject of, of our ancestors, which I do feel is is so crucial for us to try the best we can to remember those connections in whatever way that might be for us. Um, but I, I want to say that in my dream life, um, this is. All the times that I was able to connect and the more I do this work, I, I have dreams often where my ancestors come in and they come in sometimes in groups um, when I've uncovered some part of my ancestry or done some work. And sometimes they come in, I'm having, you know, ancestors that I hadn't met before Um, and they're, they're communicating to me in my dream time. And I just feel so grateful for this connection. That's kind of like a bridge got built and, um, yeah. And I, and sometimes, you know, I feel their gratitude. Sometimes they just come to show their gratitude in the dreams that they're being remembered. And so I just wanted to just have a moment to say that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing.
1: Is there a quality to those dreams that stands out to you, Chris? Like, you know, people can dream about ancestors in general as, let say, like a dream theme. And it's not necessarily, you know, I mean, dreams can create these wild and fantastic stories. And it's basically an internal process. But there are dreams that pull in these, like what you experienced, you felt the actual Call it the spirit of your ancestors enter into your dreams. Is there something about the quality of those dreams that you could um, share with us that might help other people to be able to identify when they're also dreaming in the same way?
2: Yeah, I would say that when um, when I have somebody who um, you know has has crossed over and they come back, usually there's a quality um, it's a very quiet quality. It's not like my normal dreaming where things are symbolic and there's a lot going on. Um, usually they're very focused. Um, they're kind of quiet, quiet. Often they're telepathic and there's just a moment of knowing or acknowledgement, especially if somebody's, you know, has come to say, just to say that they're okay. Um, and sometimes these other dreams where my ancestors are coming, um, they're, they're coming like with um, a special task or a job, or they're coming to help me. Oftentimes they're coming to write down the story because so much of my story has, my family story has never been told or written down. And I just feel there's just this something different there. That's definitely not as busy as my normal day to day dreams.
1: Yeah. uh, The telepathic quality is one of the hallmarks of it. And people say that there's, um, there's an energy to the dream that has a different quality to it. And like you said, it's, it's less symbolic and more of a, of a straightforward exchange between you and them. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can, you start when you get into dream characters and stuff, you can start to like, see like, yeah, that character is acting a lot. Like it's like, it's playing a role. You know, it's an actor, it's in a story, you're you're participating in the story, it's a standard sort of dream, it's symbolic, and then you get into the ones where you go, mm, this has a quality to it, there's a feeling to the dream, there's an energy, and the symbolism sort of disappears, and it's more of like, um, would you say that you feel an exchange of energy between you and them?
2: I definitely have felt that sometimes, yeah, yeah.
1: And just sort of a nonverbal knowing this non-verbal, is nonverbal, yeah, there's a lot of
2: yeah, nonverbal, yeah, there's just a knowing
1: did you do anything to induce those dreams? other I mean, obviously, you did a lot of uh, ceremony and and releasing, letting go of things, uh, but was there anything else that you would say that you did to instigate those dreams or to, shall we say, kind of facilitate or make them possible?
2: no not necessarily um i just i'm just starting to notice now that when i'm doing am actively engaged in some kind of ancestral work let's say the dream, then they just come they they're 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 watching <laughs> and um so i'm not trying to incubate them in any sort of way and i'll just say too there's something i remember that jeremy always talked about what he started to notice in a lot of um, the dreams that he'd been participating in for over a long period of years was that when people had dreams where there were groups of people that were sort of just in the background or like faceless, sort of nameless groups, that he often thought that those were the ancestors, you know, just being part offering their support or being somehow part involved in in the dream. And there are certain times where I have felt that I've noticed that as well. I don't know if either of you have ever experienced that.
1: I, you've just given, you just put a piece in place for me. Thank you, Chris. I, I wondered who those people were. Why are you so interested in what's going on in my dream? Yeah, you know, like, ah, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're making their presence known without being obtrusive about it. And they're not mm-hmm. necessarily there to play a role in the dream. They're there to, would you say, offer their support?
2: Yeah, that's how I – that's my sense of it. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Okay. Well,
2: thank
0: you for sharing
1: that.
2: My pleasure.
0: Yeah, there's so much that I would love to dive into, the ancestral dreams, because I've been having a lot of that happen over the last year. But I really want to let Jason pick back off with helping us get up to speed with – where the dreams start really coming into play for you within this. So we got this big kind of opening happening for you where your heart is cracking open and you're really touching base back with your soulfulness. And, uh, which of the dreams would you, uh, like to start that conversation off with?
2: Oh, are you asking me? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, Um, you know, the, the, um, the pink river dolphins (laughs) was a, a pretty special dream for me. That's where I was going to go with it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, let's hear about it. Okay. So, um, I had this dream that I was in a different country and I'm outdoors. I'm all alone. But there's a lot of people around. In this nature setting, it felt like a place where people were going to recreate, like, you know, on vacation or something like that. And there was water there. But the land around felt dry and hilly, kind of rolling mountains. And all of a sudden, I started to get a sense um, that I'd been here before. I became this very strong deja vu feeling came over me and I remembered that I had had this dream before and I knew that if I walked away from this area to another part, another area of the dream landscape, that I'd come to a place where the Pink River Dolphins lived and I become so incredibly excited that I remembered this. Um, It felt like a feat just in of itself to be able to retrieve that memory. And now nothing is as important as finding those dolphins. So I begin to move really fast. And it felt like to me in the dream that I remember that the landscape was changing with me as I moved, with my thoughts and intentions. So a little bit of sort of the fabric of the dream shifting which is not typical for me to be able to see. But soon enough, I see the river, and I go to the edge, and suddenly three pink river dolphins appear. And they are so excited and so happy and grateful to see me as much as I am to see them, because we're friends, we know each other, and it felt like we hadn't seen each other for a very long time, and they start speaking to me in their language, and we just talk and talk and talk, and there's just this feeling of wild excitement. They are excited, and it's just this overwhelming, joyous reunion, and it's just something that I've never forgotten. And. In a dream like this, it's kind of hard to even describe in words how deeply I felt this joy. It was like not something I'm used to feeling like this much joy in my heart, but that's really the, the lasting impact that dream had on me.
1: Yeah, you get the um, the sense. It shows pink dolphins, I mean, people typically think of dolphins more of in the, you know, kind of the bluish gray hues, you know. But the pink dolphin is very much. It gives me the uh, sense of the quality of the heart. And then you talk about the emotion that comes with the dream and the the love and the joy that you felt with them. So it's um, it seems like that the dream really was emphasizing that part of it by choosing to make them that color, or maybe we could look at it as they chose to present themselves to you that way, because you're encountering something that's coming from a deeper place within you that has a, an independence to it. You know, um, uh, the psychic Edgar Casey talked about groups of threes and dreams as representing something from the divine, you know, Ooh. there's like the Trinity, you know, uh, and there's threes, um, and a lot of uh, uh, old sort of scriptural and and uh, spiritual stories will just say that good things come in threes. So um, to see that play out in your dream like that seems to um, uh, to affirm, at least in this case, that the three dolphins, you know, like can you imagine if it was just two dolphins or four?
2: Mm-hmm. There's
1: just something about three that seems really appropriate for a scene like that. So I that's that really struck me the 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 numbers you know that there's three of them and also the color of them and then of course just the the amazing exchange that you had with them and apparently you speak dolphin
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, apparently yes
1: I mean, it's kind of <laughs> obvious when they're chittering you know and they're all happy and dancing around in the water that they're expressing something joyful. You know, um, but I was just reading the other day that dolphins, they, they refer to each other by name, Ooh. they have their own, they have names and they, they'll, there's a certain sound that they'll make that they don't make other times. Like it's, they've, uh, researchers have been able to identify that they talk to each other, you know, like they, they refer to each other by name. I mean, if that's not a sign of consciousness and, you know, like sentience, I don't know what is, um. So wow, what a what a beautiful dream. Um, I don't
0: know how this will land for you, but I was just in Chicago over Father's Day weekend and we went to the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago. And uh they were I was watching this video, well, sorry, no, there was a performance that the dolphins were doing and they showed that inside of their their fins, um not their dorsal but like their for lack of a better word, their arms, uh, that there's a skeletal hand that looks very humanoid like, and what they said was that they scientists think that maybe dolphins were once land animals that moved into the ocean. Um, and so I don't know that something just like moved through me when I was thinking about that memory. Um, as far as uh, if if we look at this beautiful... I love that you used the word reunion. It, regardless of what is happening in this dream, I think just that feeling of coming home to something is, is so powerful for you here, especially with the fact that your feelings are coming back online. So if dolphins are an animal that potentially went into the ocean from the land Mm. this is kind of like you re-entering your feelings um the vastness of your feelings uh in that same way that they're now water creatures um now you're a water creature (laughs) 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 <laughs> i i don't i don't want to totally superimpose because i feel like this is one of those dreams where you shouldn't even try to vulture it apart it's like it's so yeah. holy and so sacred that it doesn't matter what it means like the feeling of it is the, the gift of it um but yeah i just thought i that just i was i was like whoa that's kind of an interesting uh <laughs> interesting notion
2: i really like that you said that actually because a couple of things. So after I had this dream, I don't know if I knew at that time, but, um, so the only place I think that we find pink dolphins, pink river dolphins are in the Amazon there. They're, they actually exist. Oh wow. Um, and I didn't know that then. Um, but this dream, um, I feel like was the beginning, um, of, a a long series of a dream themes that have had a theme that has happened throughout my life and is still continuing now to do with water and to do with, um, the, the creatures of the ocean. So I, um, dream about water, being in the water, being underwater, breathing underwater, having a life under the water and having whales come. It, It is like a ongoing constant, um, theme. And so I feel like this was the first introduction into my connection to water and the animals and the beings of the ocean. Mm-hmm. So I, I, yeah, I am a, I'm a water person. <laughs> you are right.
0: Yeah. That's awesome.
1: Well, there's a, a dream that you had, um, about the orca whales and the happy dance that seems to be related Um, so do you think this would be a good time to talk about that dream?
2: Sure. Um, yeah. Um, that, so that dream came a lot later. Um, I'm just trying to find it here. Yeah. So that dream came later. Um, I had that dream in 2006 and that was, um, when I was trying to conceive my second child and so in that dream there is a long river and I see a pod of orcas swimming upstream at the top of the river is a lake and I see that the pod of orcas reach the lake with success when they get there And when they do, they all jump out of the water, fully breached in unison. They are happy, really happy. And they're celebrating the fact that they made it to the lake. I can tell by how they jump, how they move their bodies and the looks on their faces and the feeling that they have that they're doing a happy dance so that I will see it. I can't believe they're mimicking back to me what I do in my waking life. And the next thing I know, I'm under the water in the ocean, and a mermaid swims up to me. She has on a necklace, and instead of a pendant, there's a very small, beautiful little fish swimming around in circles. She tells me that my baby is a special gem of the sea. I wake up, and I know I'm pregnant. Wow
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow and it, and it was uh,
2: funny because when it finally dawned on me that the whales were represented the sperm reaching the lake yeah. the age, i was like oh this is perfect
1: <laughs> I, i'm i'm glad you went there before i did because that's how i was when i when i'm reading that and i'm going wait you're trying to conceive a child And you're talking about these orcas that are swimming upstream and then they make it to a lake and I'm going, okay, going, you know, basically finding the womb, you know, and then, um, you know, they're, they, they, they jump out of the water. So now they're kind of into a different state of being. So that means conception has happened. Um, And yeah, and then the mermaid comes up to you and the fish swimming around in the pendant. Like, yeah, that seems like a really uh, like a heck of a metaphor for the for the process of conception, both the physical side of it, but also the spiritual side of it. And I'm wondering, um, did you have a boy or a girl?
2: I had a girl. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Mm -hmm. mermaid girl. And, uh, this uh, did she turn out to be a gem?
2: She is definitely a gem. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I actually wanted to name her Gemma, but that, Aww. that wasn't what her name was.
1: <laughs> wow. That's well, you mentioned, you know, that there was this, uh, interactive co-creative aspect of the dream. And when we think of a creation process, uh, like conception, but also, that we, we've had somebody else in, in our, on our show who had a dream before she got pregnant or no, I mean, before she adopt sorry, she ended up adopting a child. Um, and, um, this was, um, um, Zivia and she had this, um, moment in the dream where she decided this is what I want to do even though at the time she said that she had no idea that she ever wanted to have a child, she was actually dead set against it.
0: Wait, did you say but, adopted?
1: Yeah. Didn't she, or no. her, her partner, sorry, she, yeah. in a way, her partner, she ended up having a partner who was pregnant. And, uh, so, a, a female, female relationship. And, um, so in a way they had the child together. Yeah. I, I kind of thought of it as adopting, but it's <laughs> not technically, um, but there was a moment in the dream where she decided that she wanted to affirm, you know, that's like, Oh, here's this baby. Do I want it or not? And in the dream, she's just like, yes. You know, even though I'd never wanted to be a mother, here I am. And I just wanted to make that note that we've seen this before with other guests and I've seen it with people that I've interacted with and talked with them about their dreams. There's this deeply creative aspect like that goes into the creation process. Like you decide this is what you want to, this is something that you want and you affirm it and you do it while you're dreaming and then whammo you're pregnant or it could even be years later, but that baby ends up becoming part of your life. It's not just a symbol or something like that. It's actually, you're actually dreaming in a way the dream is, becomes part of the creative process of making that child come into your life. So I think that's a really powerful thing that happened to you, Chris.
2: Yeah, and I I I loved that interview that Steve did, and I listened to that as well. And I just wanted to say that I feel like, you know, these kinds of dreams um, they're very common. The what you're talking about, and or precognitive, you know, pre-knowing, you know, this even happened to me with my first child. I'll just say it really quick: is that I had a dream. I'm not sure how long before um, I got pregnant with him, um, but I had a dream that a little boy showed up and he was about five years old and he had curly blonde hair and I saw exactly what he was wearing and he was just looking at me and just smiling and, and that was really it. There was just a feeling. And at that time, you know, I just thought that was just a regular dream. I didn't know what it meant. But after I had my son... When he got to be about that age, I remembered the dream. And you know, it was exactly how he looked at that time. The same hair, the same blonde curly hair. So it took me all those years later to remember the dream and saying, wow, he, he showed up there. He, he introduced himself to mm-hmm. me. So I think, but I think these kinds of things are not uncommon.
0: Yeah, well, I, I kind of going along yep. with that same... Sorry, Jay. Just real quick. No, it's okay. Um, I had a similar kind of experience. Uh, I looked up when I had this dream recently because I thought it was after Eric and I had moved in together, but it actually was really early in our relationship. Couldn't believe how early it was that I had this dream. Um, she lived in Minneapolis. I was living in New York City at the time. We were doing... Long distance thing, and right after the first time she came to visit me in New York, which probably would have been about getting close to six months into our relationship, um, I had a dream that me and her were walking just down a sidewalk with our two children. There was an older boy and a younger girl, and that's exactly what we have right now. <laughs> and oh man, rereading that, that dream is so beautiful. Is I mean it the way that I wrote it was was just so gorgeous. I have a very faint actual memory of it now. I mean that was back in that would have been like two thousand nine, two thousand ten period. Um but yeah, just seeing the way that I wrote about the kind of love that I had for these kids is exactly the quality that I have for them. And to have, I mean, that was almost 13 years ago. I had no idea at all like what kind of cracking of the heart happens when you have a kid. Um, Mm -hmm. That was nowhere in my consciousness, but I got a glimpse of it in that dream, which I thought was just – so moving to read this many years later and to have that kind of love present in my heart now was just like oof. Like <laughs> man, that's it's just like so so incredibly interesting and beautiful to see how prophetic I guess is maybe the word for it, but just like how informative dreams can be as to like shape you kind of like what we talk about here all the time on this podcast. Like that was, that was preparation in a way and maybe in some capacity that was like Jason was getting that just a few minutes ago. Maybe, maybe in some ways that is a contract that I'm making in that dream where I'm seeing and feeling that experience and I'm like a hard yes with it, even though it's not going to be for quite a few years down the road that that actually becomes a reality for us but that it begins that that motion forward to like yeah I want to I definitely want that love in my heart and you you move forward in your life attempting to capture that in some capacity but yeah that's that was my little two cents there (laughs)
2: love that yeah.
1: Well, that's with, uh, Zivia and it's, uh, the robed woman and, uh, the unusual motherhood journey, uh, that came out in May. That was our May episode. So anyone that wants to refer back to that can get another powerful story about, um, dreams that foretold, um, the future where you were a future as a parent. So, um if any uh yeah if anybody wants to catch up on that episode it's there waiting for you
0: yeah so moving forward from the pink river dolphins um
1: and the orca whales have doing their happy dance
0: well i guess yeah real quick before we leave that whole story i i know a little bit about the story behind your happy dance if you want to There's something that I feel is really special about this whole way that the dream is uh, mirroring that back to you that I really kind of want to accent real quick before we move on. Do you want to tell your whole thing about your happy dance that you were doing? Oh, sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so the thing about the happy dance is that um, there came a time when I decided that whenever – A synchronicity would happen in my life, or something that I had been wanting or thinking manifested. That I was going to acknowledge this to you know sort of the greater universe that I'm noticing that it's happening, and I want more of this situation to happen. Mm -hmm. And the way I was going to acknowledge it was I I jump up in my in the air, I put my fist high in the air, and I just kind of jump up and down with a smile on my face, and that's my. Little happy dance signal to the universe. (laughs) And so, and, and that's, so I knew that when the orcas did that, it was the same weird, in a same weird whaley way, they were doing the same thing, which I found fascinating. It was like a part of myself was marrying back to me, you know, so that I would know what they were doing, that they succeeded in their, in their, you know, task
1: yeah i'm seeing that too there
0: uh that was such pretty fascinating Yeah.
2: yeah it's really fascinating
0: yeah so let me let me just uh flesh out what i wanted to say about this was uh i just think this is such a just one of those one of those experiences in a dream that just really i don't know you feel really seen in this where the intelligence that is behind those whales, behind the dream, the soul behind it, however you want to look at the more autonomous nature of the dream is is here with you in this moment that is so joyous. And I don't know if you had any difficulties in conceiving your second child that makes this more of like a really magical moment for you. But for me, it just seems like, wow, like, you, you're happy for me you're, you're celebrating with me in this way that uh, you're reflecting this same kind of behavior that I do when I, I see you when I see you the, the, the soul behind this world that is, that is trying to communicate with me that it is now it is now celebrating you in the same way where it's like I see you in what you're bringing into this world and there's this I just think that 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 interplay of the meeting happening here between you and this this soul of the world or the, of your dream or however you want to look at what that is behind this whale that is trying to communicate that beautiful message to you that is like yes fuck yes like (laughs) Uh, so I don't know with me saying that if you have anything to add to that that touches you in a way that you would like to expand upon then please feel free to
2: yeah I mean I would just say I really agree and it's it's actually a nice point to highlight as an example of you know like some of your other guests have talked about, that you know the dreams are much more than we realize. They are alive, and they are interactive. It's a co-creative process, you know. Like Scott Sparrow talks about, and even I think the last episode I heard with your guest Jenny yeah. um, said the same. And it, you know, that really illustrates it right there. And um, it's that larger awareness, um, yeah, reflecting back and yeah I think that's it's it's really neat and maybe you know when people listen to this they can start to look for those little moments that might be happening in their dreams that they haven't noticed
0: yeah yeah I totally agree I think it's really special when you yeah I think I've, I've mentioned this in a few different episodes where it just like our dreams are, are here with us. They they companion us in these really special moments that we have in our lives that largely go uncelebrated. And, and this is a really special, especially since there is like that behavior, that little happy dance that it can use to kind of level with you in that way where. I'm losing my words, but I think you know exactly where I'm trying to go with this. It's just like just that just that more like specific or like personal and, and like intimate to you way of companioning you in this moment that is so special for for this to be a dream that you had that like really highlights the fact that you you've conceived. Uh, that's like insane to me that's insanely special. I just mm-hmm. I, that's wild.
2: Yeah, I agree.
0: All right. And so to kind of bring us, I mean, not that orca whales are not magical at all. That was an absolutely magical dream. But to kind of weave ourselves back into the thread of kind of this whole reclamation of the magical self that's happening for you. Um, we really wanted to touch base on this experience you had in Sedona, which I think brings this, uh, really dreamy magical sense that you're having, uh, into like really living color as far as like how it really becomes a waking dream for you. Um, So if we could have you kind of give us the kind of lead up to that experience uh, of you going to Sedona and, uh, yeah, just tell the story and you can just run right into the dream for us.
2: Um, Okay. So the lead up, like during that time I was still traveling in my VW, living a very um, free lifestyle, (laughs) And uh, a lot of synchronicity still happening in my life. And I'm not sure that... So somewhere in that time, before I was in Sedona, I had this dream. And I called it the Sedona Crystal Tree. I'm walking down a forest path. And there seems to be a creek or water nearby. And then I see a cement cistern type of thing as I'm walking. And I walk past it. And then I see a big tree. And I go up to the tree and around the side. And inside the bark of the tree are quartz crystals growing. I see the small crystals and I show my friend. And I'm very happy and very excited to have found them. And then I see there's larger, clear crystals with points on the ground at the base of the tree. I pick one up and I put it in my hair. And that was the end of the dream. And so one day when I found myself in Sedona, um, we were camped out somewhere. And I was having a really beautiful day and a really... um, I would just say this because I remember this stands out in my mind, which is why I want to say it, is that I was in a state of I would call it childlike wonder. I was having, and I often did during this time, just days where I felt so free and I looked at the world with such awe. And I remember there was a rainbow and I was just so playful and, just full of kind of joy and awe at life and just the beauty around me. And that is how I entered this trail I found myself on. And I was with my friend and, um, what happened was I started walking down the trail and then I had the sense of deja vu. And I remembered that I had dreamed this before and I knew with every step I took, what was going to come next for my dream. And sure enough, I saw the cistern, the cement cistern. And I told my friend, like, very excited, like, oh my God, this is the, exactly from my dream. And next we're going to come to a tree. And there was the tree. And I went up to the tree. And believe it or not, inside the bark of that tree was a crystal. And I took the crystal out of the tree, just like I did in my dream. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and I showed my friend, and it was a small crystal. And I still have it to this day. So that was a, a a kind of experience where dream life and waking life, the the boundaries between them, um, really dissolved. And I would say it's not necessarily a common experience like that, where I actually get a physical object that was from my dream. Um, but that's what happened.
1: Did it seem like the crystal had been left there by someone?
2: Well, I mean, I can only imagine that. Yeah. I mean, if you're ever going to find a crystal sticking into a tree, it would be in Sedona, right? Like, what (laughs) other place is (laughs) that going to happen? So yeah, probably. That's what I imagine. I mean, it certainly wasn't growing there.
1: I mean, I did hear about somebody who found their uh, wedding ring growing around a carrot in their garden that they'd lost like 10 years before, <laughs> you know, like it, they'd lost it in the ground. They built a garden there and then a carrot grows out of the ground and there's her wedding ring, you know? Wow. So, so I'm, I'm picturing that maybe there are these crystals in the ground, you know, that got picked up as the tree is growing, but then I'm Ooh. like, well, maybe is it more likely that somebody left it there? So. That now brings in another agent into this scenario where you could dream about this. How long before it happened? From the time the dream happened until you were in Sedona, how long did it take?
2: You know, that's a good question. I don't know, actually. I want to say it was almost like a year before, but it might have not been that long.
1: And so if somebody left that crystal there, unless it had been sitting there for that entire year then it means it happened after you had the dream so um, yeah. that yeah so now you've you've got this other factor coming into it that means that somebody else's life in a way was a participant in that dream even though they weren't in the dream they were part of making it come true can you imagine the person walking along going they're holding a crystal in their pocket and they go hey, let's see that little nook on that tree. I think I'm just going to walk over there and I'm going to (laughs) stick this crystal over here. Yeah, for whatever reason they have in their mind at the time. And then they decide that they would go and do it. And then it turns into this magical experience that you end up having. Or even
0: better, they're like... Oh, my God. I don't know why I feel like I have to do this, but I really need to leave this crystal right crystal here right in this here. tree.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. maybe I Somebody's going to come ha- walking. And- yeah. Go ahead, Chris.
2: Oh, well, I just hadn't thought about that aspect of it, actually. That just throws a whole new twist. I love it.
0: Yeah. Because cause whoever left it there, I imagine, I'm just imagining this little hippie person. <laughs> all like I don't know dude I just I just feel like I really gotta leave this here for some reason I can't figure it out but it has to happen dude um, just such a fun little image in my mind
2: um, yeah and what were you know the odds that I was gonna just find myself right there on that exact path I mean it was just meant to happen clearly Um yeah it's really fascinating
0: because I mean there's plenty of times where like I feel like I, I don't have any like real thoughts in my head of, of things that I've actually specifically left somewhere hoping that somebody else will find it um but I feel like I've had moments in my life like that where I'm like I don't know why but I I really need to like leave this here or like this is for someone else i i know i've had i can i wish i could remember a specific example of what that is but so for me like i have no idea who ended up benefiting or receiving whatever that moment would have been and i just think this is like a cool look at like the magic of those kind of moments where you're on the receiving end of somebody else's intuitive feeling of I have to leave this for somebody else. This is gonna be really meaningful. I don't know why, but I feel like I have to do it. Um and so maybe to like if if anybody out there who's listening has a moment like that coming up in their lives, like, who knows? Like this could be like a really defining moment. <laughs> for maybe you're else. part of
2: somebody else's dream and you don't know it yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. Uh, one one thing I, I want to ask you um, is, so you you did mention how ecstatic you were as it's unfolding in your waking life, and you're like, "Holy crap! I cannot believe this is really like like." If if you could speak more directly to like exactly what that feeling was that you were having of feeling like something so much larger was at play here. Um, like what exactly did that touch within you as, as far as feeling like there was something truly magical happening?
2: Well, so are you talking about like my, my state of kind of wonder be, before that happened?
0: Yeah. Kind of like, uh, I mean, yeah. if you could speak more specifically to, cause I don't know if, Anybody I, I haven't personally had an experience like this happen where a dream was that specific uh to something that happened in my life and I know if it was happening there would be a very a very specific quality of wonder and awe and holy shitness, um, that I, I was just wondering if you could speak to like what exactly I mean, how how just how crazy was that to you like if you could just speak to the mindfuck that that might have been. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, well, I feel like in a way it was, it, you know, the um, the wonder that I was feeling, it, it's almost like that was how I was. I was in this state, you know, I was still coming out of these experiences from Mexico, crossing the border, traveling all around the states. And, um, you know, I just felt... Like, in that moment, I was feeling wonder with just life (laughs) Mm -hmm. and nature, and I was having a lot of fun. I was with friends, and, you know, I was a barefoot-free hippie girl, for sure. I mean, that was me, and (laughs) when that rainbow happened... um, I started running like a child. Like I was going to try to catch the end of the rainbow because, you know, if you've ever seen a rainbow that lands really low and it's almost like it's right there in front of you, you can see it. Mm. And of course you're never going to be able to catch it. But I wanted to try anyway. And so we were running around like this, just crazy fun, you know, in this wonder state. And I feel like that state of being, this wonder and awe kind of feeling, I feel like that is what, almost in a way allowed the deja vu to happen. It's almost like it put me in a certain vibration or frequency, I guess, in a way you could say, that then triggered this deja vu as I was walking down the trail. Um, So there's just something to be said about, I feel like, those states of being and how that puts, at least for me when I've experienced that, it puts me in this different sort of interactive um, relationship with my environment, with nature, and I feel like that is when a dialogue with, you know, the bigger reality can open up. And it's happened to me before, um, and so when I started noticing. I had deja vu and I linked it because often when states of deja vu come, I don't link it to anything. I just feel like, ah, oh, right. feels familiar, but I can't place it. But to be able to link it back to a dream felt just exciting, really. And so as I started moving more forward on the path, I was really excited because I knew, I, I, I already knew, I just knew it was going to happen. Like I knew as soon as I saw the cistern and the tree, I was like, this is it. I, there was no doubt in my mind that crystal wouldn't be there. And so when I grabbed it, it was just like, I just felt like, yes, you know, <laughs> just like, yes, I did it. And um, it it almost felt like there was a feeling of, yes, this feels really magical. But at the same time, it also just felt really um, natural because I was, you know, This whole thing of this experience and my life and these dreams were really, I feel like what they were really helping me to see is that the things we call magical and mystical and miraculous are actually just natural states of our being. They're our birthright. They are the way we are designed to interact with this world.
1: Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm, I'm writing a book on the science of the paranormal right now. And it, it one of the things that I keep encountering is, is that there's with a lot of these um, phenomena, we're really, t- we're tracing it back to consciousness and how it interacts with the physical world. There's this idea that came out of materialism that there is all phenomena can be explained simply through the processes and workings of matter. And when you try to put the human being into that box, it is it there's so many things that don't want to fit in there, and they don't. I mean, such as consciousness itself. It's not just arising out of the brain. But one of the things that we found over and over again on this podcast, and through our own experiences of our dreams is this that the our being seems to be connected out into the world in a way that is breaks down those barriers that makes it so that it seems at times that the outer world the natural world is really responding to what we're experiencing internally. Chris, you had a dream and then it came true. You know, like in the materialist way of looking at things, that's impossible. You know, it would be an extraordinary, it was an, this is their explanation would be, it was was an extraordinary coincidence that you would dream about a crystal in a tree and then it, it, it actually, you know, comes true. But, you know, you look back at the details of that and you go, well, wait a minute. You knew, you recognized the landscape as you were starting to get into, you know, this part of Sedona. And you go, wait a minute, I dreamed about this. And right down the path here, we're going to see this and that. And then there's the tree. And you walk up to the tree knowing that that crystal is going to be there waiting for you. So it it breaks down this idea that everything just works mechanistically and randomly in in this world, and that we're actually, in a way, you know, we talk about co-creative dream theory and Scott Sparrow, and well, how about co-creative life theory? <laughs> yeah. Like, that, yeah, that we're actually participating in this in, a, in in a way that is, you know, I mean, we keep using the word magical, but is there another word that we can use to describe it because? If what we're talking about from what we've observed, that this is, we know that it's a real thing. So, what better word can we have than magical to describe the way that the world responds to us to show us that there really is something out there that is the whole, in fact, not just something, but the whole world is, it's like it's aware of us in the same way that we can get a sense sometimes that there's something in a dream something, I want to say an intelligence, but is that really the right word? It's a heart. It's a heart and it's aware of us. It's not just a brain. We're, we're overbrained these days in our, in our society, you know, like, so it's not just an intelligence that's watching, although it's certainly intelligent, but it's more of the, it's giving us these experiences to open up our hearts. So it too is relating to us through our hearts. So I think that's just really fascinating the way that that played out and that you've just offered the, uh, a proof to all those people lis- listening out there who seem, you know, they're, we're living in an age when it seems like the magic in life is trying to be sucked out of it. It's almost like it's purposeful to try to get people to just sort of, you know, fit into this little gray box and this little gray world and, you know, keep turning the crank so that somebody else can benefit off of the product, you know, from your life and the product of your labor. But and now we've got this counterforce that's saying, Oh, you know, that may be what it looks like on the surface, but behind the scenes, there really is a magic to this world. And Chris, you've just told us all that It's possible to find it. Have one experience like yours. And for the rest of your life, you know, you know, without a doubt. Yes, there is a magic to this world. And yes, it is responding to me. And yes, it is trying to give me an experience of knowing myself in a deeply personal, emotional, spiritual way that defies all of that stuff that says, oh, no, no the world is just a big machine and let's just keep it turning because some people are getting, you know, fat and happy off of it. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So thank you. Thank you for sharing. I've, I've, I love these extraordinary stories and this is what we keep finding over and over people. You know, I, I come in and I'm like, yeah, you know, I know all the Carl Jung and the theory and, you know, done all this study and stuff and nobody wants to hear about that crap they want to hear about. You're like, <laughs> I found that crystal in a tree in Sedona after dreaming about it a year before it happened. And then people are like, Whoa, are you serious? That actually happened? And you're like, you know, cross my heart, hope to die. It actually happened. And, it, and that's where people go. There is, there is something to this when yeah. there's a magic to it. And Chris, you've also kind of laid out a course. Do you think, you know, do you think that you did that all that work that you did the dream work and then down in Mexico and the ancestral work uh, do you think that in a way that you laid the groundwork so that that could happen to you like and do you think that something was speaking to you through that experience
2: um yeah I, I would say yeah You know, I think all all of my experiences up to there were laying groundwork for that and and for, you know, other experiences that were to come after that. And I think there's little moments where we get that are like seeds, right, that then allow something to blossom within us. And that's certainly, that experience certainly was one of those, you know, because like you said, um, it leaves, there's no room for doubt, there yeah right I actually have the crystal right here on my dresser it's there <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah yeah absolutely wow
1: yeah that that was a really it's extraordinary experience that you had and uh, I would definitely be keeping that crystal too <laughs> if it were <laughs> me like oh for the rest of my life that is no, going to be sticking mm-hmm. real close to me and uh what kind okay. of
0: crystal was it?
2: It you know what, it's really small, like very tiny clear quartz crystal. Okay, cool. Yeah. I wish it was one of those bigger ones I have in my dream from the ground. <laughs> but yeah. but um yeah, you know, and this just kinda of makes me you know, it reminds me about what I had read, you know, all those years before about or maybe not that many years before, but you know, from the mystics, from Yogananda and the people who had these sort of what we would call like not normal, you know, anomalous kind of experiences. And and those people, you know, that have these mystical sort of experiences um, or magical, you know, they show us that it's possible. Um, And I never, um, I've been somebody who's just always been open to the possibility that anything is possible from a pretty early stage. So for me, I've never... I never questioned that those things couldn't happen.
0: Yeah, I think one of the really beautiful things about the way you just told that story was that we saw a really special image of just how swung open the door to your heart had become at this point. You're talking about how playful and joyful you were in the scene. Um, What a beautiful... (laughs) What a beautiful kind of image uh, to have of you and you know where you've come to at this point in your journey. I think that was a really beautiful show. Mm, thank just, you. Yeah, for just how much this, this whole process that you've been going through um, really really opened for you. I think that's really marvelous. So I don't know. Where do we want to move into from this point? Chris,
1: why don't you pick a dream that you, you know, you we're talking about the magic that can come through a dreaming life. And you've had many of them. There's so many here that you've sent us. We couldn't, you know, if we had another three hours, I don't think we could really do justice to them. So if, is there one that speaks to you right now as a good place to insert into the narrative?
2: Um, so I, ha- I have this one dream that it stands out. Um, and in some ways, it's a more recent dream, um, but it, it almost feels, in some ways, it's a little bit of the a culmination of how this magical sort of quality um, and the shamanic quality of my dream life has continued, um, over my life and still continues now. Um, so I'm just going to share this, uh, it's called stand in the power of who you are. Mm. And this felt like a pretty big dream for me. Um, so I'm standing on a road outdoors. It's daytime. It's warm and sunny. I see what looks like a large painting or a window, and it has three whales in the ocean with their heads sticking out of the water, spy hopping. And these are mink whales. They were so still and almost camouflage that I hadn't even seen them at first. And I had thought that I had the thought that this has been in front of me all along, that they were there. At first I just saw a painting and didn't see the whales, but then I noticed the whales. And I'm looking at the image for a minute, when then I realize all of a sudden that it's not two-dimensional, it's not a painting, but it's actually another dimension that I'm seeing into, and these whales are alive. And as soon as I have this thought, this recognition, the whales come to life, and they move towards me through the painting into the space where I stand. They stick their noses out far so that they can touch me. I rub their heads And then they seemed to soften and change like into like a puppy feeling. Like when you love your puppy, they had that quality. They were receiving my love. And I talked to them and I told them that they had to go back in the water. And so immediately they listened to what I said. They went down to the bottom of the ocean and the three of them lay down in unison in formation. And I had this feeling again, like, we knew each other, we were friends, and I'm filled again with that feeling of so much happiness and so much excitement that we found each other, that I recognize them, and that this interaction happened. And at that same moment, I suddenly feel this incredible sensation of sharp but gentle claws as they land so lightly on the top of my head that they gave me goosebumps. And I realized that an owl has just landed on my head. Oh. But I'm surprised at how light this large owl feels. And I'm not scared at all. It's big, it's soft, it's brownish, and it's adorned with all these ribbons tied on it, as if the shaman people had sent, sent, sent it or prayed with it, and it, it was a special bird. At the same time it landed on my head, a strong female voice whispers, which was the owl, now hold me above your head and stand in the power of who you are. And at that moment, I knew that I was supposed to reach up, grab the owl by its feet, and in one single motion, swoop my arm in a huge arc to the ground where the owl would go upside down, then raise it high and straight above my head. I knew there was a trick to do it properly, and I attempted, even though I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I tried. And then I felt like I wasn't sure if I did it right. I wasn't sure. I was a little worried maybe that I had injured the owl. So I took it into a field and I set it down and I think the owl was fine. And then I started running swiftly through the woods on a track and I felt light like a deer or an animal and I navigated the forest floor well. And that's the end of my dream. <laughs>
1: wow. Wow, sister. Yeah.
2: I love that dream. I love that dream so much.
0: <laughs> I bet that sounds freaking awesome.
1: You know what, part of there's a lot that sticks out to me here, but one of the things is that you you are so in, instinctively walking your way through the dream and just knowing that there are certain things that need to happen. Like, you know, telling uh telling them to go back into the water you know, to, st- to start with, like that doesn't, you, you, it seems to kind of come out of nowhere, but it shows that subconsciously you're understanding how to navigate through this place. And then what the owl and you're trying to sort of move it like the way that you're trying to swing the owl around, you know, that there's a certain motion or movement that you're supposed to do. Um, and then just knowing to go and jump out onto the, you know, go running off on the path, you know, like out into the forest or the uh, the woods or whatever it was like, it amazes me how well you knew exactly what to do at the moment so that the dream, like in response to what was happening in the dream, and then it triggers things to happen in response. Um, so I'm, I'm just really like, do you see how that could go back into the theme of coming into your own power? Because isn't it a lot of what that means, at least for me, there comes a point when you're just kind of sure of what you're doing and you don't have to rationally explain why you're sure. You just know this is the right thing to do in this moment. Maybe kind of like that person that left that crystal for you, you know, like out of nowhere, they just, you know, and they're following that instinct. Did you have that sense of something in your dream, Chris, that was informing your actions in that way?
2: You know, I did feel, um, yeah, it wasn't until, to be honest, to looking back at this dream later that I recognized that quality that you're talking about. That I, you know, this wasn't a lucid dream, and yet I had a lot of sort of agency and action that I took that then created another action. So, had I not really, um, say, noticed the whales and had that interaction, maybe that owl wouldn't have landed on my head. You know, I don't know. But it just seems, um, yeah, there was an instinctual nature, yeah, that I did have, and you know, I think the whole the whole thing that stands out is that you know, when the owl says, "Now stand in the power of who you are," is really saying, you know, you've had all this experience, you've had all this opening, you know, magic is real, <laughs> you know, just go do it, just go be you. Hmm. So, don't doubt. And, you know, that's something I, I, you know, I've struggled with all my life is, uh, you know, really claiming that and really standing in my power. I'm still unfolding into that. And um, I don't know that, you know, that's a ongoing process. But I, yeah, I agree with what you said.
1: Steven, anywhere you want to go with this?
0: Yeah. Um, personally, I love owl dreams. I've had quite a few that have been pretty meaningful for me. And I just really love the the image and the feeling of not seeing it show up, but all of a sudden having, the talons in your head. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man, that was, like, so cool to, like, be on the receiving end of hearing that. That was, like, whoa. Um, and I, I loved – there's so much about this whole interaction with the owl that I absolutely love I just the fact that it is sinking its talons kind of attaching itself to your head I mean the fact that it's on your head already kind of feels like a crown of some sort um Mm -hmm. and just the fact that it whispers that particular thing in your ear is just like whoa that's pretty chilling um I uh Yeah, I don't know. I think uh I think everything you just said about the owl just felt so spot on as far as you know you know the magic. You you've seen it so crystal clearly. Um it's time for you to you know, to wear your crown, to stand in your power and to to take ownership, full ownership of of who you are and what you're here to bring into this world. I think that's such a beautiful, beautiful dream. When yeah. exactly was this dream?
2: Um, this dream was in 2017.
0: <laughs> I I can't tell you how many people have brought dreams from t- 2017 to this podcast um uh, the ones i'm thinking of specifically uh leah a lot of her dreams happened in 2017 uh she was a story about the amazon woman uh and a lot of my personal story of coming into my power uh that whole grinch story that i told uh the big death experience that really climaxes in that story happened in 2017 i think aliyah a couple of her really big potent dreams were in 2017 um yeah i for what i don't know what it was about that year but there was some real heavy <laughs> big things happening um that year so that's that's really really cool um yeah I don't know if what I said landed for you at all, but um yeah me me just looking at the owl in that way of yeah I don't know being kind of like a a crown or inviting you to to wear your own crown to stand in your power, I think is if that was my dream that's that's where i would be sinking into with that
2: yeah i i love that i i um i love my owl dreams as well and um it's just reminded me hearing you reflect on this that uh um i do a lot of you know drawing and sketches of my dream and um and i paint so sometimes my dreams become paintings and this um this certainly was one that wanted to be turned into art Mm. um and yeah it's just so beautiful seeing this big owl on just standing on top of the head with (laughs) all these colorful ribbons hanging off it um there's something yeah it's just it was really um felt like a really big dream a powerful dream for me
0: yeah for sure
2: yeah thanks for those reflections
0: yeah
1: Birds are often um, symbols of messengers of spirit, the, the way that they, obviously, they they have the power of flight. Um, and they can sometimes sort of a nonverbal communication with them that um, if you've ever had that, felt that sense of connection with the birds that decide they're going to, you know, your your home, the trees around your home, You know, or become their home too, you know, like, and so there can be this sort of call it maybe kind of like a symbiotic relationship type of relationship with them. So, and then there's also many uh, traditions that, like, after people have died, uh, a loved one has died, and then there Mm. will be a bird that comes and visits, and it's just the presence of the bird itself seems to be a message. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm getting a really heavy vibe of that from the owl in your dream. Um, and of course I would be amiss if I didn't, you know, give props to the owl there because I'm known as rat owl. So.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah baby.
1: That's my bird, man yeah <laughs> if i well, if, see
2: the owl wanted to be uh recognized here tonight
1: yeah it's probably there's probably uh, out in the uh saguaros, out in front of my house here there's a, a little family of them they peck right into the side of the swarrow cactus and they turn it into their home their little den mm. and they live right and they can be like you know, 15 feet off the ground. And so they're very well protected up there. Cause in the end, if you look at what an owl is, it's mostly feathers, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you, you get down beneath all that and you're like, there's not a whole lot of bird here with most of them. I mean, you know, um, <laughs> they're actually little tiny creatures. And, uh, but yeah, I bet if I opened my front door right now, the owls would be hooting cause they're, you know, 50 feet away down in my uh, front yard in a swirl cactus. But yeah, what a beautiful, um, uh, what a beautiful way of delivering that message and affirming something for you. One of the another thing that really struck me is the way that um, the painting came alive. And I'm wondering, Chris, is that has that deepened you in your art, or did you feel like there was something from that dream imagery that seemed to be an extension of? You know, like I'm a writer and there are times when I get into a flow state where I'm not just staring at a screen and pumping words onto it. Like the screen kind of opens up for me in a way. And whatever the whatever words come out of that process, that's that's almost like a side effect of an internal alchemy that's happening and i'm wondering if you felt like maybe like after having that dream or maybe before that the canvas in a way came alive for you and was no longer just this two-dimensional surface it became three-dimensional in the sense of like you're really putting yourself into it in a way that makes it more alive than just this yeah just this two-dimensional thing it seems like the dream did that for reason, and I'm wondering if it relates back to your sense of yourself as an artist or as a creative person.
0: Yeah, damn, dude, I totally missed that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? I miss that as well, and I'm so glad that you said that because I'm not realizing this until right now, that 2017, when I had this dream, was the year I started painting. Woo! And you know, i had been having dreams all along of seeing my art in dreams, right? Viewing my art here and there, but I never thought that I was an artist. I, I've never called myself an artist. And I started painting in 2017, and the, the only um, thing that I learned, I'm, I'm not formally trained, I took intuitive painting classes. And so the way and the style that I paint is that I go to a blank canvas and I have no plan. I've never planned a painting. I don't know what I'm going to paint when I get there. And so it's very much exactly like you're saying is when I paint, I allow the spontaneous um, expression to come out either through the brush or through the movement or sometimes the image (laughs) I can't believe that I didn't see this the images sometimes just come right out of the painting at me like I'm surprised like I didn't even know like like "Oh, oh my god that's a wing what there's a wing there wow I'm gonna paint a bird now and that's exactly how I paint and you're so right this painting I mean this sorry this dream um it really did speak to that
1: And wow. it brought you into your own power in a way, like wow, that's yeah, well, yeah,,
0: so now that you're having this big epiphany about this whole thing, how does that line now land for you like what well, what the owl says like how does that weave its way into this whole epiphany you're having
2: um, I feel like it's um. Well, it's it very much kind of ta- it, it's speaking to what we've been talking about all along. Really, is that uh, there's a much bigger thing going on than just us in this reality. There's something else that's interacting, right? Mm-hmm. You can call it the awareness behind the dream, or you can call it the higher consciousness, or the soul of the world, or you know the this, the creative spirit that is interacting and at play with me in this, you know, process. When I get into the flow state of the creative process with art, there's something else there that's moving it. Just like Jason was saying with writing, something else opens up. It's like what wants to come through us from the soul of the world. You could say in in some ways. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's so interesting to me because. Uh... 2017 is when my music came back online and was when my dream started inspiring my music. So I'm seeing some really wild parallel between the two of us. Uh, that's really, really cool. And I'm just, I'm so excited that you didn't see this in this dream because that is, oh man, that's so cool that you were able to have that on our show.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I really thank you. That was really, um, um, intuitive, you intuitive of you to to pick that out.
0: Well, that's why I love Jason. Every time I share dreams with him, I and I think that I got it down pretty good. He's like, "Well, what about this?" And I'm like, "Holy!" <laughs> he just sees the thing that I missed, and uh, I love him for it.
1: Thank you, bro. Yeah. I, I feel like the guy. I feel like whoever it was in Sedona who left the crystal in that tree. Sometimes you just do things and you don't know why at the moment it just it's just there it pops into the mind you know something you feel in your heart and you just it just feels right so you go with it and then something else gives the increase you know like the it helps to make that magic happen there's something i've been learning from the um, edgar casey people and it really struck me Um, It basically said that you, you bring the best of yourself to the world as best you can every day and you create the conditions and then something else gives the increase. So you're not thinking like, you know, like people get into manifesting and they're like, I want a million dollars, you know, or I want, you know, I don't just want a sports car. I want my favorite port, you know, like they get real specific and they, they start putting all these expectations on it. And I, I look at it and I go, you step back from that for a minute. It's good to want, you know, it's okay to want those things. It that's. It's great but you just do what you like you put yourself in the right position make yourself the best person living day by day that you can do and then allow for the increase to come to you so in a a odd sort of way when i when i work my way through a dream like that i'm relying on something else to make the magic happen you know i feel like a big clod sometimes when it comes to this stuff you know a big block of wood you know (laughs) hello anybody home you know and then and then somehow some way something uses what i do to make magic out of it so you know um well i like
0: what you just said there because uh one of our previous guests jonathan highland uh He had put this reel on Instagram that was so brilliant. He was talking about how uh, every time he goes into a dream working session with somebody, he has no idea what the dream means. Obviously, right? And he's terrified because there's no way to know, right? Until you start peeling back the layers with the person who had it, and you got it. It's such a, it's such like a trust fall exercise that you know you really have to go into real curious because you can't you can't really i mean you can you can think that you know somebody's dream but until you really are are prodding them over the details about it um you really are in the dark and especially for us dream workers it is kind of an uncomfortable feeling at first because you're like looking at this dream, and you're like, Jesus, uh, I mean, there's, there's things that I can kind of look at, hopefully, um, sometimes dreams lob easy symbols at you, but I think most of the time we are pretty in the dark about it, and it isn't until all of a sudden these th- the light bulbs start clicking, that all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, all right, now we have, like, a frame to go off from here, that we can look at it under this lens, and then all the pieces start kind of falling together, but Yeah, I just, I just really love that idea that he had of like, um, every time you enter into a dream working session with somebody, like, you really have no clue. (laughs) You have no clue where this is really gonna go. It's Um, like a
1: jam session in a way, you know, when you're making music with people and mm -hmm. you don't, it's like, okay, well, let's start with a minor or whatever, you know, a nice G chord, okay, and then you just start proceeding from there and playing off of each other's ideas and then there's a you know kind of a magic that happens when you have the right musicians together then you know it's going to end up in a good place then again i've been in jam sessions that went nowhere so you know (laughs) 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 Uh, so um chris you seem to have an instinct for this you do dream work do you work with people and their dreams? You came out of the Jeremy Taylor school and I'm just thinking if you're not working with dreams already with people, then you should be.
2: No, I am. And it's, it's, it's interesting hearing you talk about this because you know, I have, I of course too feel the same way when I'm working with someone's dreams to just really feel like, wow. But I, you know, one of the things I learned from Jeremy is that when we, you know, I really try to take a dream in um, deeply and You know, take it in as if it's my own. Because, you know, what Jeremy used to say is it goes through the filter of our imagination as soon as we hear someone else's dream. So, in a sense, it does become our dream. And then, you know, when I really let myself sort of move into my body, into my feelings, and just kind of feel my way through the dream. And then, kind of like you're saying, just, you know, share from just you know, out of curiosity and just listening and kind of, you know, just trying to be open, you eventually find your way down a path. And um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting process and I, and I love it.
1: And it turns out to be a very different thing than traditional dream analysis where, you know, you have the analysand and that quotes around the word who are, you know, they come into the office of the good doctor and they tell them about their dream and then they sit back and passively receive whatever the good doctor has to say about it. And they apply all this, you know, theory and, you know, the apply, you know, the education that this person has usually at a doctorate level, you know, this was the traditional image of what a dream an analyst was, but we like to say we are dream workers and we can, we don't need to bring all that stuff to the table because the dream itself will tell us it'll unfold. In fact, the dreamer, and Jeremy always said, you know,
0: you... you the dreamer is the authority. Say again? Uh, I think it's what? The dreamer is the ultimate authority? Do you dream? Yeah,
1: yeah, the dreamer is the ultimate authority on their own dream. So it's our job to lead them into it. And I appreciate you saying, you know, Chris, adding the part about picturing the dream as your own this was something i learned from carl jung and i've picked it up from others and i've started applying it like when you were talking about the 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 um the three pink dolphins and they're talking with you and as you're describing that i'm closing my eyes and like feeling myself in that scene and i'm seeing these three dolphins joyfully kind of poking their heads out of the water and you know you're talking they're talking to you and i'm hearing you know the dolphin chitter you know, that, that the playful sounds that they make. So in a way, I was experiencing your dream with you as you're describing it, but I'm working it through my own imagination. And of course, imagination is the processing center for dreams in our own minds. They've shown that dreaming as a process, as a function of the brain, uses the same areas of the brain in the same ways that our imagination does too. So, bringing your imagination into the process of listening to someone else's dream um, helps you as a dream worker. You're activating the very part, you're activating by doing that the part of your mind that is also creating your dreams. So, you're creating a sort of synchronization between you and the person that you're working with. And, um, or in a group, it could be, you know, not necessarily as a dream worker, but if you're just kind of participating in a group, you've just given probably what is one of the greatest secrets of dream work. Just let your imagination play with the imagery and feel your way through it until something clicks for the person that you're talking about their dream with. So the beautiful thing there. Thank you for sharing that. So, um, Steve, I'm you thinking of a way that we can wrap this up?
0: Yeah, I would love to, uh, ask you pretty point blankly uh, if you could if you could in some way sum up exactly how this is all shaped you if you could give us a look into the contents of your heart surrounding um, yeah like what this what this has all meant to you for this this dreaming experience for just the way that life has opened itself to you, uh, all of it, if you could just give us a really beautiful, um, summation of what this has meant for you and, and how it's, and how, and in your gratitude for how it's shaped you going forward.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, I would say that my dreams and my experiences have really shown me what I already knew inside, that we are more than we realize. And I really think, you know, I think I said it before, that the things we call magical and mystical and miraculous are actually just Part of our natural inheritance because I, I look at us as cosmic beings incarnate in this moment of time, and it does feel like a miracle. And um I think that you know I, I the dreams have helped me to really make space for the mystery in life, and um yeah. And I'm, I'm really grateful. I knew somehow really early on that dreaming was going to be one of my most powerful tools and skills, and that has continued to be the case. And I am so grateful um, to have been exposed to the art of dreaming and all that it has done for me. It feels... um like so precious to me. My dreams are very precious. And, um, yeah, I think that's really what I have to say about it. I like, you know, I like what James Hillman said about dreams. He said something like, you know, if you want to know what your soul is up to, just look at your dreams. (laughs) And I think when we look at the whole arc of our dreams, which I've been able to do over 30 years, um, we start to see our own mythic story take shape and its colors and it's our aesthetic and our, you know, just our magical life. I mean, my dream journals are um, probably the most bat- magical books I'll ever be able to read.
0: Yeah.
2: And um, I am so grateful for that.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Oh Yeah. Oh man, it was so great to talk with you and so great to have my buddy here with me and how fun. Yeah,
1: that was cool. I, I think we, that was a good uh, one, two that we brought to it. So, um, and that Hillman quote, uh, he, that you just, Chris, you just hit something for me where it gave me a whole new understanding because I'd run across that recently. And he talked about how the dreaming is the soul doing its work. And yes. as I've framed it that way in my own mind, it makes me, I go, well, okay, if, if that's what's going on, then what am I seeing? You know, what is it that I can do to help it in its work? When I look Ooh. at the dream, I'm I, that's really how I think of it. it. Working with a dream now is the, the, you know, the conscious side of me steps in and says, okay, if I can understand more about the dream it's with the purpose in mind of having of of helping the soul in its work because it's waiting for me to go to sleep for it to have its time it's like here let me borrow your mind for a little while here and i'm going to go do my work and then when you wake up in the morning you know now you can have all your faculties back but i'm going to borrow them here while you're (laughs) asleep and i'm going to do my work and I look at that and I go, well, then that means if you're working with a dream, what you're really doing is helping your soul to evolve, which then, you know, as if it wasn't already just a full of a a process, a a wonder of nature, full of mystery and power, wonder, you know, like as if it wasn't already huge, it just got bigger. So thank you for reminding me of, of that by bringing up Hillman because he's he was very much viewed dreams from that perspective of, you know, of that depth.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I really um, like that. I like looking at my dreams now from new perspectives like that of, you know, more... Um, um, just as experiences that we can live and keep dreaming forward because we're in relationship to our dream. Mm. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> so I think to- Thank you
2: so much.
0: You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, to close this, I think, uh, man, there's a few points where hearing your story, I just. I'm going to walk outside, it's one o'clock in the morning here in Minneapolis, I'm going to walk outside and I'm going to look at this world through a whole new set of eyes. I just, you gave me a glimpse into a whole new way of of seeing and perceiving the magic all around me, so on that note, nighty-night. <laughs> nighty <laughs> night
2: Yeah. Good wow. night. Yeah. Sweet dreams.
1: Centuries ago, a debate raged about the nature of the relationship between a person and the world they live in, and the results set us on the course we find ourselves on today, especially with our approach to science and the paradigm that acts as a framework for how we perceive life in the world. On one side, were the people who argued that there is no such thing as a truly objective scientific observation, because the observer—that would be you and me and everybody— is too much a part of the world and everything in it, and everything we observe is subjectively colored. Our minds and consciousness are participants in the dance of creation, not observers sitting on the sidelines watching it all with complete detachment. Then there were the people who argued that we truly are islands unto ourselves. We can be truly objective because we can be truly detached from what we observe and measure. A philosophy known as dualism, the separation of mind and matter. That side of the debate, spearheaded by the philosopher René Descartes, won the day and set the course for scientific inquiry for the next 400 years. It's when we started losing touch with the magic of life in the world. And it is the roots of the mainstream opinion that dreams are self-contained experiences that extend no further than the individual who has them. It gave us the audacity to separate the dream from the dreamer, as if sealed in a vacuum chamber from the environment in which it's created. We put dreams under the microscope and they lost their magic. At least, that's what we thought. But in this podcast, we've proven that's a mistaken approach. We've brought you story after story about dreams that tap the power to effect changes in the physical world We've offered ample evidence of something behind the scenes in our dreams actively and intelligently engaging with us, dancing with us. And it is fundamental, actually shaping reality by affecting the course of our futures and our lives. Now with Chris, we can offer you a story where her dream became objectively real. When she found that crystal in a tree in Sedona, located exactly where she dreamed it would be, she showed through her experience that we really do participate in the dance of creation. We really are enmeshed in the fabric of reality to the point of influencing, if not actually creating it. If Chris were the only one to ever experience such a thing, we could make a plausible argument that it was an extraordinary coincidence and maybe Rene Descartes would have the last laugh. But she's far from the only one and it's a common experience for those of us who go deep into dreaming, especially when we are open to the mysteries of it. There's a lot of debate about whether what Carlos Castaneda wrote in his books has any truth to it, or that his great teacher Don Juan actually existed. But we do know that people like Chris have left the Western world to enter the world of shamans and ancestors and rituals and a connection with nature that's so profound, you no longer know where you as an entity end and the world begins. There is no separation in the greater reality, and this loss of what we all once knew to be true is the root of our collective schizoid split. We split in our minds, and we split as a species, and we split as inhabitants of a living planet full of indescribably awesome creatures that would never dream of thinking of themselves as totally separate from each other and Mother Earth. Is life but a dream? We're ready to say that it's dreamlike in the sense that our external reality responds to our internal one to shape the personal experience of life. And perhaps consensus reality is similarly responsive and truly we are dreaming the world into existence every day and every night. Steve and I took a different approach to this interview. We decided to interview Chris together. In the meantime head over to Instagram and tell us what you think. Our handle is the dreams that shape us. Our website is dreamsshapeus.com. And as always we end our show by wishing you nighty night.